Good morning. Welcome to chapel at Cedarville University. If you're a guest joining us, my name is Thomas White. I have the privilege of serving here as president. To our students, to our faculty and staff, alumni, parents, friends who may be watching, I want to start off today with just a few updates. As I'm doing those, go ahead and get your Bibles out or your phones or whatever you're going to look at the text on today. And let's open your Bibles up to Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to look at chapter 11 and part of chapter 12. We have a huge list of names. I'm not going to read all of those names to you today, but I do have some points of emphasis that I think we can learn from this chapter. Nehemiah chapter 11 will drift over into chapter 12 as well as the list of names continues. Today, if you are missing Cedarville, uh, I don't know that you should be because it is 44 degrees outside, incredibly windy, and that wind is cold. I thought I was going to blow away walking over here, so some of you will remember those days walking across the bridge and the wind just seems to push against you or blow you a whole lot faster depending on which way you're going. Uh, it's one of those days around here. So we're all staying inside. We're staying safe. We're doing our best to make sure we have our distance. Also, I want to let you know that April 3rd is the last day to withdraw. That's this coming Friday, so make sure you pay attention to your email and things of that nature. Not saying that any of you should withdraw from a particular class, but if you are having trouble transitioning and need to withdraw from a class, I just want you to be aware of that date, April the 3rd, this Friday. I'm excited. I was on my way over here and noticed they were pouring the concrete for the Chick-fil-A, which is directly across the lake from where I'm located in the student center. So that concrete's making progress today. Uh, we'll be able to use that, enjoy that this fall, Lord willing. Um, and then also in the dormitory, we have the kitchen going in. So I can't wait for you to see that in our new dorm. And so uh, we'll continue on with that. Nehemiah chapter 11, drifting over through chapter 12. In a message that I've titled today, Living a Life That Matters. So this is a little awkward because you're not here and you're there and I'm here and it's a camera and it's a screen. But I want us to prepare our hearts to hear what the word of the Lord says. So I'm going to ask you just to pause what you're doing for just a moment for you just to go to the Lord in prayer with me as we seek to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts. So I have some things for you on the screen that I would like for us to do together. So would you join me in an attitude of prayer? Lord, would you just prepare our hearts to hear your word? Lord, would you prepare my heart to be able to deliver your word with passion? Lord, to communicate clearly what your word says. Would you tie my words to your word? Would you allow your word to come forth clearly? Lord, even though we're separated and we're not in one room like we like to be, your spirit is everywhere. You are a sovereign, omnipresent God. And Lord, you can touch lives and hearts listening to this online from around the world. So Lord, today, would your spirit speak through your word, through this technology that we're using so that your word would change our hearts so that our affections might be more focused on you and that our lives may be changed. Would you prepare my heart? and all of the hearts of those listening to worship and hear from your word. Lord, I confess to you, on behalf of our world, on behalf of our nation, on behalf of all of those that serve here at Cedarville and myself, Lord, we are sinful people. Lord, our hearts are prone to wonder. Lord, I, I don't know what you're up to with this coronavirus, but Lord, perhaps you're going to use it to allow it to knock out some of our idols, some of the things that we've grown too comfortable with, some of the things we value too much. Perhaps, Lord, you're allowing this to shake the foundation a little to remind us of what's truly important. 
So Lord, would we not waste this time? Would we look at our own lives? Would we confess our sin to you? Lord, would we come to you humbly? Would we stand before you and others humbly to say, we don't know what you're doing. We're not going to put words in your mouth as to what you're up to, but Lord, would you allow us to focus on our own lives and how we can grow closer to you? So Lord, I confess today that we are sinful, we are prideful, we are people that think we are self-sufficient, and so Lord, you have reminded us of how frail we are and how much we need you. Lord, even in the midst of looking at those things, we know, though, that we have hope. Lord, you have a gospel of grace and of mercy and of hope. So, Lord, may we as believers and followers in Christ who know that death has already been conquered and that there's a resurrection after this, may we not despair. May we not grow weary in well-doing. May we May we not look at what's happening out there and sink into depression or darkness. Lord, may we know and focus on the truth and the hope of the gospel for our sake and for the sake of others. And now, Lord, as we look at your word, make it come alive to us. Speak to us through it. Help it to dwell in us richly so that we may live a life that pleases you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles open to Nehemiah, Chapter 11, I want to set the text up in this particular way. Uh, Nehemiah 7.4 gives us a foreshadowing of what we're going to see here in Nehemiah 11 and then some of 12. It says in Nehemiah 7.4, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And we know there were some houses already existing, but the other houses hadn't been rebuilt. This was a problem. After this takes place, we go to Nehemiah chapter 8. They bring in the word. They preach the word. All of the people are sorrowful because they hear the word and they know they haven't abided by the word. And so then they start doing what the word says and they have celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles. They come back together. And here in chapter 11, we see the discussion of Jerusalem being called that holy city and of all the people being called together so that then some can go back to live into Jerusalem. Chapter 12, we see a list of the priests and the Levites. So here we see again that the book of Nehemiah is not just about a wall surrounding a city, but it is about the true worship of the living God. Nehemiah had a grander vision than just a wall. We often focus on the wall, but the wall was one part. The wall was to allow stability. Now the people moving back into the city allows the city to represent God on this earth in the Old Testament. We see that in our time through the church. Nehemiah had a focus. That focus that we see here as they cast lots to move others back into Jerusalem is that the people would strategically live and work for God's glory. So that is the main idea of our text for today, is that we also would strategically live and work for God's glory. We want to make sure that we are strategically living every day of our lives for God's glory and that we use our work, that we use our vocation, that we use the things we do, the gifts that God has given us, even the simple gifts, the gifts of encouragement, the gifts of baking goods for others. Those can be great gifts, especially at this point in time, to encourage others as we're going through this difficult season. So our main idea, strategically living and working for God's glory. I want to show you the outline of the text. As I show you this outline, we're going to come back and walk through it. But our outline of the text here, the verses 1 and 2 talk about the action taken to populate Jerusalem. We'll walk through that. And then we have a list of settlers. This is a huge list of names, chapter 11, verses 3 through 24. I'm not going to give you all of those, but we will look at some of the different categories of names. 
And then we see other villages. So not everybody's living inside of Jerusalem. Some are living in other places. These other villages are listed. And then we see a list of the priests and the Levites. That's going to be our outline for today. So we begin and start with point number one. Actions taken to populate Jerusalem. We look at Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Read along with me. It says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lights to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. We see in this text a few things that I want to highlight and point out for you. First of all, it says the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. As past tense, it indicates to us that the leaders were already living in this location. If you want to be a leader in life, there's going to be times where you have to model what you're asking other people to do. If you want other people to live in a certain area, you need to live in a certain area. If you want other people to behave in a certain way, you need to behave in a certain way. If you want other people to believe the hope of the gospel, we have to believe the hope of the gospel. If we are in utter despair, if we have no hope, how can we expect others to look to us as followers of Christ and have hope in the gospel? So leaders must set the tone by example. It says here they were living there, but the rest of the people cast lots. Now, Casting lots, I would, I would say today, is probably more like casting the dice or something like that. You would have small stone pieces or small pieces of wood, and they would take those, and they would shake them up, and they would roll them on the ground, and then what happened on the ground would indicate who was supposed to move back into the town. Now, you might be thinking, should I cast lots for what's going to happen in my future with my vocation and with other things? Well, in the New Testament, we don't see the casting of lots with the exception of one time, that one time's in the book of Acts, Acts 1.26, which is before Pentecost. So after Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit descends. The Holy Spirit then begins to dwell within us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon and depart. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit lives within us. We are now the temple of God. 1 Corinthians calls our, us the very holy aspects of the temple of God, that inner part of the temple. So the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the completed, sure word of God. So for us to determine the will of God is to read the word of God, is to seek the Spirit of God, is to look at circumstances. We don't see any example or illustration or command of casting lots after the Spirit has come and descended onto us. So in the age that we live in, I would say to you, we don't need to be casting lots. But in this time frame, they cast lots. Now we know from Proverbs 16, 33, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from God. God is sovereign even over the way the lots were cast. So the people had trust in a sovereign God. Now that's a great application point for us today and all that we're going through. God is still in control. God is the one that wears the true crown. God is the one that sits on the throne. God is sovereign over all of this. God could take it away. He may choose not to. God could take it away in a moment's notice if he chose to do that. God can use it for his purposes. God is sovereign. Are you resting in that fact today that God is ultimately in control? Seniors, if you're watching this and you're worried because you thought you were going to graduate and go into a job market that was incredibly hot with low unemployment and now all of a sudden you've looked at things and it's shifting and you don't know what's going to happen, I want to say to you, God is sovereign. Put your trust in Him. That's where our hope comes from. They trusted that as these lots were cast that God would be sovereign over them. 
one out of ten people would then come to live in Jerusalem, and it calls it the holy city. It's the only time in the book of Nehemiah that Jerusalem is mentioned to be the holy city here. It's the first time. And it says that they want to come to that holy city. Now, why was Jerusalem called the holy city? Well, we understand that when the, the, the captivity took place and the Babylonian captivity came, there's no more Ark of the Covenant that's the presence of God. It says in Jeremiah 3, 16 and 17 that the Ark of the Covenant was destroyed. It will not be built again, but it says this, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. So one of the reasons it's very important for Jerusalem to be populated and for Jerusalem then to function with the worship of the one true God in this day and age. We see here that it says after the nine and tens, the others remained in the other towns. And in verse 2, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now there's two different ways to look at this. Some of the commentators will look at this particular point and they will say that there were others besides those on who the die was cast, on whom the lot chose, that decided we'll live there, we'll live there willingly. But then others say, well, it's probably more likely those that were chosen said, yes, we'll go there. After all, what would you do to make somebody go to live in Jerusalem, even if they were selected by the lots, but then they said, I, I don't want to go there. And, and we understand that with the houses not being rebuilt, this may not have been a desirable location. In fact, the fact that they blessed the people who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem, it might indicate that this was a less than desirable location. I'm going to come back to that when we get to our application at the very end. We move now to point number two. We see a list of settlers. In this list of settlers here, in verses three, it goes all the way through verses 19. There are several different categories that I want to point out to you. You'll see if you look at verse four, section B, it says the sons of Judah, and it gives you a list of all of them. And then in verse seven, it says the sons of Benjamin. So you have two different categories here. Four through six, the sons of Judah. Seven through nine, the sons of Benjamin. In verse 10, it starts listing the priests through verse 14. In verse 15, it starts listing the Levites. It does that through verse 18. And then in verse 19, you see the gatekeepers, the priests, some more Levites, and some other workers of the temple. And that carries on through verse 23. Now, let me draw your attention to just a few highlights in this particular portion of the text. We see here in verse 6, all of the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were about 468 valiant men. You remember Perez. Perez being the one who was born of Tamar, the daughter-in-law widowed of Judah, who pretended to be a prostitute in order to have a promise fulfilled. I point out Perez here for you because I want to say to you, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what lineage you may come from. You may come from a family and you may say, it's really hard. I just don't know that God can use me. I want to say to you that all throughout the scriptures, God uses people to do amazing things because it's not about us. It's all about him. And God actually uses and prefers in some senses perhaps to use those who won't think it's all about them. It's not about you. You don't have the gifts. You don't have the ability. But God in his grace and in his mercy uses us to do amazing things. You see it. It's not about the depths of your sin. It's about the depths of his grace. We see in verse 11, the name Sariah. Sariah was a descendant of the high priest who was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. We see that in 2 Kings 25, 18 through 21. You see also in verse 22, the name Asaph. You remember Asaph who wrote some of the songs. Hey, I just want to say to you as we see this and as we move into the next chapter, it's hard to plan worship. Sometimes some of us take for granted what actually goes into a few songs on stage. 
that prepare our hearts for worship. In moments like these, when we're tuning in online, though, we really recognize how that community of worship, how that corporate worship focuses our hearts and our attention vertically towards God. And so we, we miss it. So maybe next time we come back together as a group, we'll be a little more appreciative, a little more thankful of those who plan and who come together and who lead us in musical worship before we worship through the ministry of the Word. There's another point here I want to point out to you. It's the villages, verses 25 through 36. We see in verse 25, it says, As for the villages and their fields, some of the people of Judah. Then we get another category in verse 31 where it says, The people of Benjamin also lived. In this text, I would just point out to you that in verse 35, it mentions Ono. You'll remember Ono from previous messages on this. It's the place where Sanballat invited Nehemiah to come and dialogue, and he said, Ono. You remember that place. And then here we also see in chapter 12, verses 1 through 26, the priest and the Levites. Now, you'll notice some categories here too. It begins in verse 1 with the priest and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And that goes all the way through verse 7. In verse 8, it transitions to the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And then you'll notice that it transitions in verse 12 when it says, And in the days of Jehoiakim were priests, and it gives the heads of the fathers' houses. And then it says in verse 22, In the days of Eliashib. And so all of these different names are giving you the, the history of the priest and the Levites moving forward. There's a point for us to take there and that it's important to note the continuity of the priest as this moves forward. You also see a few things that I want to highlight to you. Chapter 12, verse 9. It says they stood opposite them in service. Now this is talking about perhaps two choirs standing opposite, singing different parts, perhaps on the stage. I don't, I don't know exactly how it was structured or how it was here, but that again takes orchestration. That again takes planning. That takes detailed work. We see that going into the worship that takes place here. We see in verse 24 also that it notes here that they gave thanks and they gave praise according to the commandment of David. They took care of the details. They were giving thanks and they were giving praise to God. This is important. They paid attention to it. Every detail mattered. They worked hard for this. And then in verse 26, I would draw your attention to the fact that it says, In the days of Nehemiah the governor and of Ezra the priest and scribe. This verse is a verse that shows us they were both working at the same time. It's one of the few verses that actually includes Nehemiah and Ezra both in the same verse in this book. So it shows us that they were working together. So we come back to our main idea. Our main idea is to be strategically living and working for God's glory. Where you live, in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, what you do, the ministry that you do, preparing details, the technology, the camera equipment, the music, the messages, all of the details that go into worshiping God, preparing our hearts so that we are ready to hear the message, making sure that we've prepared the night before so that we'll get up on time, so that we'll be there and we'll be ready. All of these details take place. So two things I want to highlight before I give you some application. God uses ordinary people. You read through these names. Feel free to. Read through all of these names and pick out every name that you know exactly who they were and what they did. There's a list of ordinary names here. God uses ordinary people to be part of something extraordinary. So if you've ever thought, God can't use me, 
I want to say to you that that's a lie from the devil. The devil wants you to not be focused on what God can do with you. God can do things with any of us because it's about his power and his glory and not our own. I would also tell you to notice that it takes a host of people. It takes a team of people to make things happen. I've been shocked may not be the right word. I've been struck by this even at Cedarville as we developed a list of essential personnel. What are the essential people it takes to make things happen? And there are some that you would say, oh, yeah, absolutely, I get this. You've you got to have your faculty to get your classes online. Your faculty are important in that. But, but here are some of the things that I thought about. Our, our CTL, our Center for Teaching and Learning, they're helping faculty transition all of their classes to online format. There are people working, they're probably working twice as hard and twice as many hours as they have before. You think about the, the registrar, the co, all of those things that have to take place, the business office. We have 17 people just from the business office that have been deemed essential personnel. We have 39 people from the physical plant that are still coming to work on a daily basis to make things happen. I'm incredibly thankful for all of these different groups. That doesn't mention IT. We have 19 people in IT making sure the network doesn't go down and everything works smoothly. We have our campus security. We have student life and the RDs. We have the janitorial services that are still going on. And then we have those who are full-time workers in our dining services that have adapted to what they normally do to preparing meals for those who are left on campus. It's not a large number, but they've had to adjust and adapt. All of these people come together to make what we do happen. I'm incredibly thankful for them. Your local churches have a similar activity, nonprofits, missionaries. It takes a host of people to come together. Have you thought about how you can fit into God's plan, living and working strategically for God's glory? Let me give you some application here. As we look at the application, number one, location. Strategically choosing where you live. Have you thought about this? Not necessarily in this job market, but in a normal job market, Cedarville graduates, especially if you are a nurse or if you're an engineer, if you're some of the other high demand programs, you're going to have multiple job offers by the time you walk across the stage. How do you choose where the Lord wants you to go? Let me cast a vision for you. What if you decided, I'm going to choose my vocational pursuit, I'm going to choose where I actually choose to work and live based off of where needs a gospel witness? Where does the Lord need another embassy for His glory testifying to the greatness of God? Perhaps it could be that some of our students catch a vision that you would get together with a host of friends. You would get eight to ten of you perhaps in different areas, some engineers, some teachers, uh, some, some uh, nurses, some in the athletic fields, some pharmacists, some business leaders in an area to say, we're going to move to this location because this location lacks a gospel witness. We're going to come alongside a church planner. We're going to be those families who are going to be tithing to the ministry, supporting the ministry, serving in the ministry, producers and not just consumers, not saying, give me, give me, give me, but saying, I want to do something for God's glory. And you think about where you live and what you do based on how you can get involved in God's great mission. That's choosing strategically where you live. There were people here in this chapter, chapter 11. The lot fell on them. It was by no accident that God sovereignly chose them to go and live in the city that would bear his glory and bear his name. And they said willingly, we will go. If God called you to that, if God spoke to your heart and convicted you of that, would you willingly go? Perhaps to a less desirable area? Perhaps to a neighborhood that's not as much fun to live in? Would you Consider going and joining in what God may be doing in a place that desperately needs a gospel witness. Your location, 
I would also encourage you to think about your vocation. Strategically choose the work you do. Where am I going to be? What am I going to be doing? How does it get involved in what God's up to? How does it get involved in God's great plan? And then I would say, think about your situation. Strategically use your life circumstances. Well, I'm single. Well, great. You have more time. You don't have a spouse. You may not have kids that you have to worry about. Use that time and use it well. Use it strategically. Are you thinking about the things that you can do? Perhaps not in this lockdown moment, but in future, how do you do that? Think about your talents. Think about the resources that you may have. Think about all of the different things you could do with your life as you move forward. Could you perhaps adopt? Could you be involved in foster care? If not, could you be part of respite care for those who are providing foster care? Could you be an advocate for the less fortunate? Could you be active in prison or addiction ministries? Could you work in shelters or food pantries? And even now, perhaps food pantries being all the more important as students are out from elementary schools and high schools that provide them with perhaps their only meal. Could you think about how we could be involved in making sure that they are fed and they are cared for? Service or support for those? Have you thought about how to strategically use your life for God's glory? Don't waste your life. Live a life that matters. I think that's what this text is showing us. A life that mattered. A life that was used for God's glory. So strategically, we work and we live for God's glory. Now, this is a university. So if you're one of our students, I have some assignments for you. It's a different venue. I want to give you an assignment. Number one, I want you to listen to Carrie Job's The Cause of Christ. Now, don't send me an email about something that she's written that you may not agree with. I'm not commending everything, but what I'm commending here is this song, The Cause of Christ, and this particular portion of it, which I think speaks to what this text is saying. It's the very end of the song. She says, It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eye. I pray it's said about my life that I've lived more to build your name than mine. Is that true? Is that true of me? Is that true of you? That we really don't care what the world says, but we want our life to be used to build Jesus' name more than mine. I pray that's true of me and my heart. I pray that's true of you and your heart. So as you're looking to get your mind in the right frame set to continue on your day, I encourage you to listen to that song on your devices at home. Number two, your second assignment, encourage someone else. Send them a text, give them a phone call, write them a letter, shoot them an email, whatever you do. Whatever your communication method is, use that communication method to encourage somebody. There's somebody out there right now. There's an extrovert who is at home, alone, in isolation, and really feeling it that could use somebody reaching out to say to them, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. There's somebody out there who has a family member sick or perhaps somebody who is sick themselves that could use some encouragement right now. Let's be strategic and use some of our time today to reach out to somebody just to encourage somebody. I'm thinking about you. I care about you. I love you. I value your friendship in my life. Assignment number two is to reach out to one person today. Assignment number three, pray for someone else in need. I have friends who are in India. I received some text message communications from them, and they showed me some photos of the mass amounts of people who either have nowhere to go 
or who were standing in long lines to get food. Somebody texted me later that day and asked me, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And my only response, my only thought that I could give back to that person was, man, I'm great. I am sitting in Cedarville, Ohio, where it's safe. It's not a populated city. I can go out and walk in the fields. I can go run. I can go for a walk here on campus, and it's beautiful. I have all the food that I want to eat. I have a warm house. I have technology. I can do all the things I need to do. Man, I'm great. I just can't fathom living in a society where that's breaking down, where you have that many people grouped that close together, which we know is not good for health reasons. And so I would just encourage you to join me in praying for somebody else, somebody that's less fortunate than we are. So instead of focusing on what we don't have, which will then allow us to get in a bad attitude and a bad mindset. Let's pray for somebody else who doesn't have what we have. And let's have an attitude of gratitude. Let's have a heart that is thankful for what the Lord has given us, the opportunities that he has laid before us. Many of us are so blessed and we take it so for granted. In this season, may we lift up others. May we pray for their safety. May we pray for their health. May we pray that they have food to eat. May we pray that the gospel message would go forth into dark places and that we would be part of that through our prayers, through our giving, perhaps even through our own strategically lived lives going to the ends of the earth so that the gospel message would go forth. It's your final assignment. It's in closing here. I just want you to lift up somebody else to think about how good God has been to you and to be thankful for the rest of the day. Let's pray. God, I do pray for our friends all across the world, our missionaries who are out there. Lord, I pray for those in India. I pray for their protection. I pray for their safety. I pray that you would prosper them during this time. I pray that you would provide peace to those regions. Lord, I don't know exactly how to pray, but Lord, I want your gospel to go forth. I want there to be light in dark areas. Lord, I want there to be people who have a passion about the gospel going forward and for your spirit to work in amazing ways that would cause people to be more receptive to the gospel. Lord, I want your name to be praised in this earth. And so, Lord, whatever it is that you need to do to cause a radical revival, an awakening in our planet, an awakening in our continent, an awakening all across our region, Lord, would you do what you need to do that your name would be rightly glorified and praised? God, I thank you for the great gifts you have given so many of us that we take for granted so often. The life, the breath, the ability to study your word, to read your word, to hear your word, the ability to communicate that to others, Lord. We thank you for you are a merciful and a good God. And Lord, we are an unfaithful people. So forgive us, restore us, use us, not for our name, Lord, but for yours. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.